Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9 and 11 a.m. at the main campus. And 11 a.m. at the Monk's Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening. We hope that God blesses you through doing so. Good morning. morning. Now we're talking. I am so glad to be here and to see you again, Pastor, and your lovely wife, Jeannie. Wow. It's truly an honor to be here, and we've had a wonderful time of uh, opportunity to be with your community this uh, this week uh, at the Citadel. I was privileged to speak for the symposium on leadership, and then to attend a very special banquet for the Krauss Foundation, and to highlight it all to be at Faith today. That's called kissing up. But I do love Charleston South. Pardon me, Charleston. Got to say it right. I do love Charleston. And every time I come here, it's always a blessing. And I come here often, actually. I have some of my parts are made here. (laughs) Really? Uh, The Medical University of South Carolina adopted me. They are the sweetest people. And uh, they make my prosthesis here. And they have never charged me a penny. God bless MUSC. They've done, they've done some major surgery on me. I, I had to have my face lifted, and they carved out ton, just so much scar tissue and then did implants in my head. <laughs> I think they did a brain transplant while I was there. <laughs> I got a pretty good one. They said it was a preacher's brain, and it was the most expensive one they had because it had never been used. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. <clears throat> but they make my artificial ears, and uh, they they put in these implants so that the ear attaches instead of being glued on, it snaps on. It also occasionally snaps off <laughs> when I didn't expect it to snap off. I was preaching in Jamaica one night, and suddenly the whole crowd just sucking air like a Hoover, pointing at me, not blinking. <gasps> I knew something was wrong, you know, so I checked my fly. It was all right. I knew. I looked around, and there was my ear. It had snapped off. It was laying on my shoulder. It really messed with them. I thought, I'm ruined. So I picked it up, grabbed sweat off, and stuck it back on. And I thought maybe that was over, but it got worse. They thought it was a miracle, but they all got saved. So (laughs) God will use anything. One night in Iraq, I was uh, I was boarding on a C-130. You military types know what I'm talking about. It's a big, it's a giant cargo plane, and the ramp was down. And it was about two o'clock in the morning. I was with some special forces teams, and I threw on my body armor, and it's real heavy body armor. It hit that ear and knocked it off. Now I'm in a combat zone. You can't turn on flashlights. And thanks to the Air Force, I have a ranking with Department of Defense for protocol only. It's not. Paid rank, it has no authority, but I'm ranked as a as an 07 for you that know what that is. That's a one-star general. I'm not a one-star general, but they do that for protocol. Yeah, you got that. I don't give orders, but I did. <laughs> that night I said, no one move. <laughs> my ear fell off. Find it. I didn't want anybody stepping on my ear. 
I started laughing all these mighty men of war. These are guys like took down Osama, you know. They're down there feeling around in the dark and all those divots and crevices and channels. And I started laughing and one of them said, you didn't lose your ear. You're just making us look stupid. I said, no, man, I really did. I lost my ear. But one of you is close. I hear you breathing. <laughs> now, I thought that was funny too. But one of them said, whoa, is it me? <laughs> Oh, I don't know why I got off on all those eerie jokes, but that was a little fun there. Actually, I don't tell many jokes. I have so much humor in life anyway, I don't have to have jokes to laugh. I get more kicks out of myself than I do anybody else. And I do have a lot of spare parts. And my hair is not my hair. Well, it is my hair, but I had to buy it. <laughs> it was blown off in Vietnam, and it was also blown off day before yesterday. I chased it across the parking lot there at the Citadel. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a dog bring it back once. <laughs> Tell me if that's not embarrassing. Wow. But I put all my parts on the bed the other day. My wife said, good night. I was in the other room. That's bad. I have no idea why I got off on all that. That's not my typical opening. But I don't travel alone. I'm very happy to have with me two of the finest people on this earth. Dave and Kathy Wampler, who've been with me for over 22 years, a precious, godly couple. She's been singing for me since she was a teenager, and I really love this couple. I want you to give a big welcome as Kathy Wampler comes, and I have a song. Thank you. I have a song that we discussed this morning that I, I've, I've asked her to sing this particular song for you. Uh, and yes, Pastor, I will include some of my experiences. It's been quite a while since we were here, and I know I'm making a lot of new friends. Uh, but I, I would like to share some of those experiences and use them for personal illustrations. And I believe in doing so, it'll be a little more effective if it's something I've personally experienced instead of something somebody else experienced. Yesterday, uh, Friday at the Citadel, too. Absolutely. I mean this with all my heart. One of the finest institutions I have ever had the privilege to speak in. Uh, it's an amazing college. And I was able to share a lot of those experiences. And those young men and women related very well to them. And they know very well themselves they may experience some of those things. There's something about being left with a scar. Some people are ashamed of scars. I had to work through that. I was embarrassed. You know, a lot of scar tissue. People are inclined sometimes to stare, which always bothers me when the guy staring at me is uglier than I am. <laughs> he asked, what happened to your face? And I said, what happened to your mother? <laughs> <sighs> you know you're ugly when you're born and the doctor slaps her. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care who you are right there. <laughs> but scars, they're like, a, they're like a book. They tell a story. It's visible. It's detectable. You can read it. You know something happened. I could be embarrassed or I can use them, and I chose to use them. A scar is evidence you got hurt, but it's evidence you got over it. Pardon me if I read my scriptures from my iPhone, but I can make the letters great big. It makes it easier for me to read. So if you have your iPhones, would you turn with me? <laughs> there is no Dane Bramage. <laughs> that went right over top of you. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Philippians 1 and 12. If you 
can find that quickly. I'll give you just a minute. I'll also let you know that if you do stop by that table and you make a contribution back there, some people don't carry cash or checkbooks anymore. If you choose to give a contribution back there at the close of our ministry time here at the church today, we will leave information of the total contributions so the pastor and staff will know what was given. A lot of people prefer to do that, and I'm letting you know that's available. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Say, brethren. Brethren. Let me hear you say it, everybody. Brethren. Brethren. Simple address, but that's the address. (laughs) Brethren.org. What it amounts to is this letter was not written to the world. It was written to the church. I wish or I want you to understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. I'm going to stop there, and that's about all I need to read to get my point across. I want you to understand, brethren, that the things which happened to me, you ever have anything happen to you? How many of you ever had a car wreck? Let me see your hand. Wow, I can believe it. I've been driving in this town. <laughs> uh, things happen. You get sick when you didn't want to. <laughs> Who wants to? Uh, things happen. No one knows that better than this congregation and your pastor. Things happen in our lives that are sometimes tragic, sometimes marvelous. But things happen. The world already knows that. They've even got bumper stickers that say something along that line. Things happen. What do you do when it happens to you? How do you deal with it? The question in life is not, are you going to get hurt? The question in life is, when you do get hurt, how are you going to deal with it? Because everybody gets hurt. That's just part of life. Nothing is more hilarious to me than hearing some preacher say, when you get saved, bless God, you'll never be sick. (laughs) I had a guy say that. I was on Trinity Broadcast Network one night, and it was a preach-a-thon, and I will never do that again. They had a guy on there, and I won't call his name. Probably wouldn't know him anyway. He gets up, and he is so hypered up in his faith, he makes this statement. Bless God, I'll never be sick. And I'm sitting over there, the next speaker to follow this guy. He has all his parts. It's easy for him to say he'll never be sick. When I was injured, I sucked fire down into my bronchial tubes. I'm not even supposed to be able to talk, much less breathe normally. So all those little follicles that push moisture up, keep you from getting pneumonia and keep it out of your chest, they're all burned out. They don't grow back. So I occasionally have, have to cough to expatiate some of that fluid that gets in my lungs. And, and coughing, I wheeze a little. And he's up there saying, Bless God, I'll never be sick. And I'm sitting over there. <laughs> but I just muttered, I said, You already are sick. But I didn't know that my lapel mic was on. He went right out in the studio at full volume. You already are sick. Oh, it made some people mad. It made other people laugh. It lit up the phone banks. About half of them were saying, whoever said that, throw him out. The other half were saying, whoever said that, put him on. 
For me or you to say I'll never be sick is tantamount of saying I'll never die because sickness and death are part of the product and result of sin. So it doesn't matter if you never sinned in your life. Duh, you're born in it. You're going to be sick on occasions. That's just life. It goes with living. It goes with the human experience. Uh, I'm not here to advocate suffering. I wish I could abdicate suffering. I wish I could eliminate it. But in our suffering, which, by the way, you're born in, it's not easy being born. Ask your mother. (laughs) Ask your dad after she slapped him. (laughs) You did this to me. It's not easy. Life's not easy. The Bible even tells us in this world you will have trouble. But I love the response from Jesus when he said, but I overcame the world. I love that. The Bible says, John 10, 10, the thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. I love the fact that, yes, there will be trouble, but I also love the fact there's deliverance. Give the Lord a clap offering. He is our deliverer. So whenever I read a scripture that says the things that happened unto me, you need to be reminded the man who wrote that, those words, was writing not from a pastor's office in South Carolina or an evangelistic headquarters in Fort Worth, Texas, or from a prayer tower in Tulsa. He's writing from a prison cell in Rome. Something happened to the man of God, the most ardent and most fantastic Messenger of the Word of God, according to even some of the greatest, when I say great, I'm talking about most spectacular, most well-known, most vocal. Atheists say Paul is the greatest debater of the Word of God. He had his apologetics down perfectly. Yet he's in a prison cell writing about something happened to him. But he also said, whatever you want to call happens to him, he said God used it for the furtherance of the message and gospel of Jesus Christ. So you know what it pretty much does? It takes Romans 8, 28 and applies it in a perfect fashion. All things, not some a part of, most of, lots of, but all of, all the things that happen to us. Turns out for good if you love God and you're called according to his purpose. So the Bible states the obvious up front. Inevitably, it'll tell you, yeah, there's going to be problems, but... There's deliverance. And God uses our experiences in life. Remember that song she just sang. Don't hide your scars because that scar you've got may very well be the evidence someone needs to see that, yes, you got hurt, but yes, you got over it. And they got hurt just like you did. And your scar tells them you can get over it too. That's what a scar does. It's not negative. Sometimes I apologize when I shake hands with people because my fingers don't straighten out and they're curled up and they oh it surprises them when they shake my hand and it's, they got a fistful of fingers. It's a little awkward and I say oh, I'm sorry for my crippled hand but it shakes good. I don't even, I shouldn't even do that. I should just let it go. I mean it's not going to straighten my fingers out and they'll get over the surprise. I don't see anywhere Jesus saying sorry about the scars in my hand and I, I know I've got. Somewhere on my brow here. He didn't apologize for his scars. I don't see that anywhere in the Word of God. I'm not going to be apologizing. Matter of fact, I'm just going to tell you up front. I'm proud of my scars and stripes. 
from my, you get that play on word, isn't that good? I'm proud of it. I served my country and I'm not ashamed of that. I'm proud of the Vietnam veterans I served with. God bless every Vietnam veteran in this room and Vietnam era veteran. You didn't have to go to Vietnam to pay a price to wear that uniform. A lot of them never went to Vietnam but paid the price right here at home by being called baby killers and have sacks of paint and urine thrown at them. I love our Vietnam veterans. They are living proof that no matter what it is, standing up for your country and for your countrymen, standing for freedom, these things still mean something to a lot of us. Amen. I love you, Vietnam vets, all of our veterans. Well, on July the 26th, 1960. Oh, I hate to say 1969. I look out there and I see a lot of younger folks. And I say 1969 and you're saying War of 1812. <laughs> but for usins that are Vietnam era types, it was kind of like yesterday. Time's fun when you're having flies. <laughs> Time goes by so quickly. And especially when it's something that is Drastic enough that you pretty much relive it every day. I don't have to relive that explosion, but I relive those consequences almost every day of my life. Physical pain is something that goes with it. I'm standing here today and I'm in pain. I don't need your pity. I'm just telling you, I live with it 24-7. It never goes away. And standing is very difficult for me. And it breaks me out in a sweat. If I was in a cold, if I, I think I'd sweat right now in a swimming pool. It just, pain makes me sweat. And I don't need pity. I'm making a point that there's something about scars that I said earlier. It's evidence you got hurt. It's evidence you got over it. But there's a third point, and that is that scars are evidence of empathy. When you say to somebody, I know how you feel, you better have a scar to prove it. I've never said to anybody who's been through divorce, I know how you feel. I don't. And I don't want to know. And if you've been through divorce and you're here today, I want to tell you something. You're my hero. Not because you went through divorce, but because having gone through divorce, you didn't go through your life shaking your fist in God's face, blaming him. Because it's not God's fault you went through divorce. And here you are today loving Jesus. You're my hero. You took your pain and you dealt with it and you never blamed God. It bothers me when people say, why me, God? What if he answered you? I don't know, George. It's just something about you I don't like. <laughs> Fire out of heaven. Makes you a crispy critter. You look like me. I want to say this once and I want you to repeat it with me. God does not do evil. Let's say it. God does not do evil. Isn't that a good feeling? He doesn't make you sick. He doesn't kill your grandma. She's 97. Leave her alone. She wants to go home and be with Jesus. And you're in her way. But what happens when it's your wife or your husband? What happens when it's your child? What happens when it really hurts? Well, there's some of us in this room can address that issue. And I can tell you right now, the best thing you'll ever do with your scar is give that history to Jesus and let him use it. Never let a good scar go to waste. No matter what you've been through, God will use it for his glory. You say, yeah, but it was when I was in sin. So? 
So what's the difference? You got hurt and Jesus gave you deliverance. He was your way out. He was your answer. In the darkest of night, he is the exit to light. He can and will always supply because it's his promise that no matter what you go through, all things work together for good. So you can't really say as a believer, you can't say I had a bad day. Oh, come on. Brother Dave, you don't mean that. No, no, no. I don't ever tell anybody I had a bad day. I can tell them I had a really difficult day. I had a day that really hurt. I had a day that was surprisingly horrible. But it wasn't a bad day because no matter what it is, it's going to end up being good. It sometimes just takes a little time for God to work all the details out. And you look back one day and see the fingerprints of God all over your experience. He didn't do evil, but he didn't stop it. And boy, does that bring up a big point. Because there were some things that I could answer and some I couldn't. I knew God didn't do this to me. What I didn't know was why didn't he stop it? But I came to the conclusion he didn't start the war in the first place. It's always funny to me when people say, well, if there's a God, you know, why was there a war in Vietnam? (laughs) If they sell eggs by the dozen in Mexico, why do they put hubcaps on cars in China? What? And I'm saying, what? There's a God, why was there a war in Vietnam? (laughs) What's God got to do with it? He didn't start it. And he has no obligation to finish it. He doesn't give us the consequence of our sin. We give ourselves the consequence of our sin. He tells us this is what's going to happen. And we stupidly go ahead and do it. And they say, why me, God? And he said, duh. (laughs) And the old English of does, doth. God doesn't do evil. One night... Well, actually, it was an afternoon. I got a phone call Sunday. I came in after a Sunday service flew, and I was exhausted. I was tired. been on the road for several months. And I got a call from Trinity Broadcast. Things happen to me at Trinity. It's, it's weird. Jan calls up. We've got to have you to march. Monday. I said, yeah. Well, it's Memorial Day. I said, so? We've got to have you on. You know, it sounds like I'm really important. But when they call you that late, the person they really wanted, canceled. <laughs> I'm just on a list somewhere. Probably the bottom of it. We just got to have you. I said, I'm not coming. I'm tired. I'd be a terrible guest. She said, well, General Reisner's on and he wants you. That was all she had to say. If General Reisner wants me to jump off a bridge, I'll jump. I love this guy. He's one of the heroes of my life. He was seven and a half years of prisoner war, four of them in solitary confinement. A magnificent human being. I wish I had time to tell you his story and how we met and what was the consequence of that meeting. But I, I just will leave it to say I went. But when I got there, I told Jan, I said, Miss Jan, don't ask any hard questions, please. I'm really tired. <laughs> Sound like Hillary Clinton back during the primaries three years ago, remember? <laughs> she told the press, don't ask any hard questions. I'm really tired. I know her feeling, and I, I empathize with her. Get on the program. The first question she asked me was, Davy, you still carry baggage out of that war? She's not inquiring about my Samsonite. She's saying, are you suicidal? You wake up at night screaming pulling hair rollers out of Brenda's hair, loading machine guns. (laughs) I looked at her and I wanted to pinch her little head off. But it wasn't a Jerry Springer show. No, sir, this is Christian TV where you fake it for Jesus. I faked being a gentleman when I didn't feel like being a gentleman. I said, no, Miss Jan, I don't. Yes, I Yes, I know why God let me be scarred, maimed, and burned. And she said to me, lowering her glasses, 
And what a woman does this to me. I just go upstairs to the corner I know she's going to send me to. I'm already in deep trouble. She said, Jesus didn't do that to you, David. And she was right. But he didn't stop it from happening. Whoa, there's the question I didn't know the answer to. He didn't stop it from happening because he knew he could trust you with the scars. Wow. I trusted a woman with blue hair. And that automatically tells you don't, but I did. She was so right. My life was transformed and changed that night at Trinity Broadcasting because that woman gave me a word of truth that set me free. God didn't do evil, but he chose to allow it to happen by not intervening. He could have, but he didn't because he trusted me with something. What's God trusting you with today? And you're shaking your fist in his face. Because God wants to use that experience in your life. And that scar that's left will testify of it. Jesus rose from the dead with his scars still on his body. He elected not to leave those scars in the grave. Because he knew those scars would speak to a man named Thomas and a man named Tabriel. He knew that I knew when I saw those scars. When I knew about those scars, he knew that I knew. He had been down a tough road and if he could make it, I could make it. Because the humanity of Christ suffered immensely. And his humanity is as important to me as his godliness. He was 100% both and I see him as a man Suffer. Even his soul was troubled and he cried out and said, Lord, what shall I say? Save me from this hour. But he answered that, but for this hour came I. For this cause came I unto this hour. Because he knew he would suffer, but he also knew he would win. And he knew David would look at those scars and say, you can make it, I can too. Oh, go ahead. I know you want to clap for Jesus. That's good. So on July the 26th, 1969, I pick up a white phosphorus hand grenade and I'm about to throw it into an enemy stronger stronghold. I remember when I kissed Brenda goodbye at the airport. She was my high school sweetheart. We married very young. She was 18 years old when I kissed her goodbye to go to Vietnam. I remember that day. I still can remember the salty taste on my lips from the tears that were on her face. I remember. As I turned to walk away, she said, Davy, I looked back at her and said, what, baby? Are you coming back? Wow. What do I tell her? We've had about 5,000 killed in this war on terror in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's 5,000 too many. It's been... Coming up on 11 years. The war in Vietnam was about seventh year of the 10 years that I remember very well. About the seventh year, I'm going to Vietnam, and she says to me then, are you coming back? There were already in the seventh year over 50,000 dead. I'm not talking about wounded. 50,000 dead. And 10,000 more would die in the coming three years. What do I tell her? I'll be back. 
<laughs> I just thought of that. Now, that's funny, too. I hope I could be governor of California. <laughs> I said, I'll be back. Then I tacked this on without a scar. Why did I say that? If I just left, I'll be back. I could have kept that promise. But I made a promise that we both agree is the only one we recall that I ever made to her that I did not keep. I said, I'll come back without a scar. And I broke that promise. And in her grace, she forgave me of it. I went to that war. I didn't know. What's a preacher's kid doing in a war in Vietnam? I mean, when they put me in the military, they took me straight out of Bible college. I was a Bible college flunky, almost. Put me in the Navy. My grades, they said, you, you went to college? I said, yes, sir. No one else went to college? I said, well, I'm sorry. He said, you went to college? I said, yes. And my grades were below sea level. <laughs> you caught it. That's why well, you live in Charleston. That's why. He said, never mind, you're leadership material. And I'm thinking, I'm a Bible college dropout and I'm leadership material? I thought, we're going to lose this war. They ended up training me and sending me to what's called NAB Naval Amphibious Base. And I was there trained by Navy SEALs. Went through SEER training under the careful guidance and total whipping and beating up by Navy SEALs. They tormented us day and night. I ended up being a brown water black beret. I was assigned to SEAL Team 1 in Vietnam for eight months. Took two injuries. And brown water black beret are very, very famous today. They don't go by that name. Now they're special boat teams. And they're coming up in a movie with the Navy SEALs about men of valor. When you see in that movie, if you choose to watch it, you'll see those boats, the magnificent boats and the magnificent men that know how to operate those boats. And that's what I did I lasted eight months, took my second injury, went and picked up a white phosphorus hand grenade, drew back to throw it. The sniper took his best shot. I didn't know I was in his crosshair. Squeezed off around, he missed. He didn't hit my head, he hit my hand. And the grenade exploded six inches from my right ear, and in one second my life changed. Mutilated me, left me scarred from my waist up. I'm just a mess. I could show you, but I'd have to shoot you or charge you. <laughs> Don't clap, throw money. <laughs> and you know what? Looking back now, that was a bad day in the eyes of the world. It was a very difficult day in the eyes of Dave Reber. Very difficult. But looking back, I see how God had that thing already figured out. He didn't do it, but he didn't stop it. And he chose to use my scars instead of abuse me for those scars. Big difference. What a difference Jesus makes in your life when you've been down a tough road. And then you look back one day and say, that was the road that was the best choice. A path well taken. So I say I don't have any regrets, and I truly mean that. I mean it with all my heart. It opened the door for public schools, which I've spoken in for over 35 years. I quit counting 35 years of speaking in schools, and we stopped at about 7 million of the teenagers I have spoken to face-to-face in public school. And it was all training because now all the experience I've had all those years, wherever I go in the military, I guarantee you it is the highest percentile of any organization or place I go when they walk up and say, you spoke in my school. 
you spoke in my school too. It really bothers me when it's a 25-year career colonel. Yeah, you spoke in my school when I was in junior high. I say, shut up. But it's sadly true. The clock is ticking on me, and I know there's an appointment coming with the Almighty. And I am not afraid of that day. I am not afraid of that day. So when the grenade blew, it blew my hair off, blew my hair off, blew my face off, blew my thumb off. Even that was blown off. They made it out of my hip. I don't suck it. <laughs> my right hand was severed in half. These fingers don't straighten out, but God left my preaching finger. Then I went and got arthritis, so it's one way slightly to the left. That's if you're a Democrat. One way slightly to the right if you're a Republican. <laughs> they don't straighten out, but they make a good mic stand. He said, what? Look, you're just being stupid. No, I'm telling you, no matter what's left, it's enough to do what God called me to do. I've got enough. He didn't let my scars go to waste. They stopped just above it. <laughs> I think of these things and I think, now that was stupid. That, you didn't have to say that one. I don't know where that came from. God uses our experiences is what I'm telling you. And so no matter what you've been through, turn it over to God. I remember I jumped in the river. <laughs> I burned in the water. Phosphorus is a physical, it's a chemical and it burns in water. My skin was all around me. I was beside myself. <laughs> oh, come on. It's not that early. I know you're the first service, which I really admire the atmosphere. You guys sang good. You're real quick with the humor and all. You catch everything. You know, a lot of first services, man, it's, I, I just go to the morgue and speak before I get there so I can think everybody is alive. You're really caught up in it. And those slackers come into that next service, <laughs> sleeping in. God had a plan for my life. He's got a plan for your life. It's not out of control. Swimming in a river, still burning, tell me that's a normal day. I crawled up on the bank of the river, saw the damage. I was pumping blood out of an open artery, and I watched the thing that was about to kill me save my life. A chunk of white hot phosphorus that burns at 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit gone, had gone down in the hole the bullet went through and sealed off, cauterized the artery that was allowing me to bleed to death. The thing that almost killed me saved my life. It's kind of like getting saved. Destroys the flesh that the Spirit might live. Wow. So, helicopter picked me up and they rolled me on the stretcher, thinking I'm dead. I'm face down, my arms hanging off. I set the stretcher on fire, ripped open, I fell through on my head. You ever have one of those days? Man, they rolled me up in wet blankets, got me on another stretcher. Away we go. The medic thinks I'm dead. He's filling out my death report. And I'm really starting to hurt. The shock is wearing off. The pain is immense. And I'm thinking, he thinks I'm dead. i got to get his attention. Under the blanket, I said, medic. And when I did, he almost jumped out of the helicopter. <laughs> Pilot lost control. We're dropping like a rock. And I thought, oh, Lord, we're going to crash, and I'll be the only survivor. <laughs> there wasn't a devil in or out of hell big enough to 
take my life that day. No weapon formed against me can prosper. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Man, you take Jesus out of this picture and there is no picture. It's a screen, just blank. Nothing, no joy, no happiness, no purpose, no love, no future. Wow. They got me to Saigon and sent me on to Japan. And it was there, I asked for a mirror and they brought it, which was stupid. I shouldn't have asked and they shouldn't have brought it. I looked up with one eye and I saw what was left and I knew, uh-oh, that little teenager is not going to live with this. And I knew she was going to leave me and I, there wasn't a thing I could do to stop it. What kid is going to live with something? She married a handsome young prince and ends up with a frog. This isn't right. This is not the way that story is supposed to be told. And I knew she would leave. So I decided that I would take my life and not put her through the, well, I was going to get me out of her misery, okay? And I'm ashamed to tell you what I did. And I want any children in here, parents, I'm trusting you. If there's a youngster in here that needs explanation, please tell them, Brother Dave was wrong. You don't take your life. You don't quit. You don't give up because you don't know what can happen tomorrow. To turn your life back around. Don't ever quit. Under the influence of drugs, which I've never taken in my life, I could hallucinate on a half dosage of a St. Joseph's Aspen for children. They're pumping morphine into me. I begin to hallucinate, and my face in the mirror started talking to me. And it said, kill yourself, you half-headed freak. Your wife's a beautiful teenager. Get out of her misery. And I decided to kill myself, and I pulled the tube. I had no gun or knife. How do you kill yourself in a hospital? I pulled the tube and I laid my head back and I waited to die. I got hungry. <laughs> it was the wrong tube. It really was. I pulled out lunch. Now, actually, you can die that way, but it's going to take a while. And if you smell a pizza, you're plugging that tube back in. I can tell you right now. Aren't you glad you really don't want to die? Aren't you glad there is a reason to live for tomorrow no matter what you're going through? I'm so glad. And I got chewed out. <laughs> We're trying to save your life and you're trying to kill yourself. They sent me to America and put me at Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas. I was there for one year and two months and during that year and two months. I had the most incredible experience that a human can ever experience. My first day there. The guy in the bed next to mine burned 100% third degree. 13 of us in the intensive care unit. No one lived but me. I didn't even know what an ICU was until they put that little robe thing on me. It doesn't come together. See, I see you. <laughs> I walked everywhere backwards. Oh, that first day was horrible. A woman walked in to see her husband, the guy in the bed next to mine, took off her wedding ring and threw it on the bed. She said, you're embarrassing. I couldn't walk down the street with you and walked right out the door. I said, that's it. Because I know now this is the day of departure. She's going to leave me. They opened the door and she was standing there. I really hate to be this carnal, but she's wearing a mini skirt. <laughs> I said, talk. I'm not dead yet. 
She walked up and kissed my face, the worst burnt part of my body. And she looked me in my good eye. She said, I want you to know. I love you. Welcome home. When she actually put it was welcome home, Davy. And when she says, Davy, <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. I can't look good for you anymore. And she said, Davy, you never were good looking anyhow. <laughs> 45 years later, we're still together. Isn't that awesome? I miss her. I get to see her tonight. I'm going home today. Best friend I ever had next to Jesus. She's a little teenage girl. Would not let me go. That's why I still open the door for her. I still pull the chair back, let her sit down first. And I buy her flowers. I think a man should open the door for his wife, pull the chair back, let her sit down, and buy her flowers. And I know they're expensive. I know they're expensive, but that's no excuse. So was that rod and reel. And if you're broke, do what I do. Go to the cemetery and get them. They're flowers. They're just there. I left the hospital suitcase in one hand, sweetheart, in the other, and my life has taken the most exciting twists and turns a man could have. She's been there all the way with me. Every time I go into Iraq or Afghanistan, the last thing she says is I walk away. Davy, are you coming back? And I always answer, I'll be back. Without a pimple. Forget that scar stuff. God took all that past, all that experience in the past that I've been sharing with you, and he uses it today. I have a little video to show you, and then I'll be concluding. I hope you enjoy this video. It shows you what I do downrange, some of the people I work with. You'll see some of my warrior friends. We're now university status. They get 12 college credits, a full semester. We're accredited with the Southern Association of Colleges and Schools. And our program can transfer to Harvard. Our guys are learning. And they're growing. We're making preachers out of them. They get their degree through Southwestern Assembly God University. We're making pulpit-pounding prosthetic preachers out of guys that had lost all their hope. We are, according to the Army, a sole source. That means we're the only one doing this, and they love our program. They bought into all of our programs, and they send on orders the wounded warriors to our program to begin their healing and recovery to make a, for themselves a future. I cannot tell you what an incredible achievement that is through the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction in our lives. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.